So I want to ask you a kind of a big question this morning. Why are you here? And I don't just mean like in the momentary sense, like, why did you choose to come to chapel today? I mean, it's a great conversation of itself, but it's not the question I'm asking. Now, why are you at chapel, or why did you come to Dort? There's probably a great story there. Or why are you on planet Earth? I want to ask you why. Reflect on this with me this morning. Why do you exist? Why are you here? Why do you exist at this moment in time on the third rock from the sun, hurtling around it at 67,000 miles per hour? Why are you here? We believe within our faith that that's no accident, but we need to break it all the way down to the granular level of the individual. Why you? And so what I want to share with you this morning is actually what I would refer to as the first lesson in Existence 101. This is not a new class at Dord, but um, the good news is there's no reading, there's no homework, there's no final exam. But I'm not sure there's a bigger question. Why are you here? In seeking our answer to this, we turn to the first book of the Bible this morning, Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. I don't know if you've ever taken pause or had questions about one of the particular lines in this passage um, the way I have, but I want us to pause on it this morning. Have you ever wondered why there's a first-person plural when the description comes of the creation of all of us? Let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness. I read through some different commentaries on this, and there is a variety of theological opinions um, one person argued that maybe this is sort of like the royal we. But the problem at the end of the day is that the royal we is actually never used anywhere else in the rest of Scripture. So it's probably not that. Is God himself talking to the angels when he says, let us make human beings in our image and in our likeness? But nowhere else in the Bible does it actually say that we were made in the image of angels. We're made in the image of God. And so, I want to put before you this morning that this is the reason for your existence. It's the reason why you're here. Your reason and mine and every other human being that has ever lived, and even your enemies. In his book, Experiencing the Trinity, Daryl Johnson, famous Presbyterian preacher, says it like this. At the center of the universe is a relationship. That is the most fundamental truth I know. At the center of the universe is a community. It is out of that relationship that you and I were created and redeemed. And it is for that relationship that you and I were created and redeemed. 
At the center of everything is a relationship, a community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect relationship. And out of that, in its image and in its likeness, three persons, distinct from one another but in perfect unity, created you. Part of what you bear in the image and the likeness of God in the creation story is an us-ness. Not an independence, but an interdependence. That is not a flaw because God has no flaws, but God created us to look like himself. You were made to belong in something bigger than your own mind, your own sense of destiny or where it is that you think your life is going. At the center of all things is a relationship, a perfect relationship of love, and it reached out and created you. You are the byproduct of the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that means that the most important thing that you could possibly do today, and the reason why you got up in the morning, was not to go to class, and it wasn't to go to practice, and it wasn't to hopefully get to sit beside that so cute person in that class. It's not that. You were made to get up this morning to be the recipient of God's affection. That's why you're here. If you do nothing else today, you will have accomplished God's primary objective for your life if you simply realize that you were made to be loved by God. And it's extra interesting if you think about it, because if God is perfect, and God didn't need anything, he wasn't lacking, but still chose to create you, Right? Ask the question, why did God create at all? He didn't need to. There wasn't something missing. In fact, God actually opened himself up to heartache and pain by creating us vulnerable beings who could choose to disappoint, disobey, reject, hurt one another. And all the while, the heart of the Father just simply breaks as he watches all this going on. So if God is so perfect, and God was so complete, and God didn't need to do anything else to be more complete or more perfect, because that's literally impossible, why are you here? I've been studying theology now for 25 years. I've gotten to preach over 1,300 different sermons in different countries all over the world. I've read lots of books about this stuff, and I've listened to everybody I can ever get in front of who's smarter than me. And I think through all of this, I've learned the only one thing that I believe God cannot do. I don't think God could contain his own love. I think it's spilled over into creation. I think that's why you're here. I think God simply wanted more to love. I think that's why you're here. I want you to think about that in terms of your entire life, right? If the, if the center of everything is a relationship, and if I could ask every eye in this room, close for a minute, and do an imaginative exercise. It's hard to do this, but imagine whatever it is that you think the Trinity looks like. Imagine it looking at you, the Father, the Son. Holy Spirit, you understand that when it looks upon you, the first thing it ever said was, it's very good. 
He is enamored with you. He delights in you. He dances over you. You bring him incredible joy. And the reason why you are here is to bring him incredible joy and to be able to enjoy him as well forever. Everything in our life originated inside that perfect relationship. And everything about our being is heading towards belonging eternally within that relationship. For once and all, and for all Christians, can we stop talking about the fact that when we die, we go to heaven. When you die, you get wrapped up in the furious love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What makes heaven heaven isn't that it's perfect, but you get to enter into a relationship where once and for all you are fully known. And someone can know all of your scars and all of your hurts and all of your anxieties and everything wrong that anybody has ever done to you. And you are fully welcomed. Doesn't every single one of us long for that relationship, to be fully known? We live in a time where Americans report there are more loneliness now in our lives than ever before. 335 million people in this country, and we're all alone. I'm not sure we're doing this right. So if we're made in the likeness and the image of the Trinity... Needing relationship and needing affirmation isn't actually a flaw or an insecurity. It's actually being made in the image of God. God himself is relationship, and you were made to belong inside the context of relationships. It's not a weakness. Our culture defines maturity as being able to stand on your own two feet, as being independent. But that manner and that definition of independence isn't just foolishness, it's sin. It's not to you what you were created for. It's to reject the very notion that God created us to be interdependent. And I understand the concept of being made in the image of a Trinity is complicating. Trinity is describing it as sort of like a riddle wrapped up inside of a puzzle buried in an enigma. It's hard, I get it. It's language that we had to invent. Tertullian did it in the third century, invented the word Trinity just to explain what it is that our God is in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And people from other faiths often have this as one of the biggest obstacles in understanding and comprehending Christianity. They say, you don't worship one God, you worship three. And we're like, no, it's three and one. And they're like, that doesn't make sense. And we're like, yeah, there's a lot about our faith that doesn't make sense. And that's okay. That's why we call it faith, not rationality. Listen to the way that we describe in the Athanasian Creed, the Trinity. That we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. What quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Spirit has. The Father is uncreated, the Son is uncreated, the Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is immeasurable, the Son is immeasurable, the Holy Spirit is immeasurable. The Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, and the Holy Spirit is eternal. And yet there are not three eternal beings. There is but one eternal being. So too there are not three uncreated or immeasurable beings. There is but one uncreated and immeasurable being. In his description of this, Augustine said it like this, that God is at once lover, beloved, and love itself. And I love that description. It's let your mind 
play with the dance that exists between the members of the Trinity within this. And then when each one begins to speak, the others sing in harmony. So when John says in chapter 4, verse 8, that God is love, he's not talking about an abstract idea. He's talking about a perfect relationship that is inviting us to participate within it. And that love is, when, God, when we say God is love, we don't just mean that God has a love for us. We mean that God literally is a community of love. And love can't exist in a vacuum, only in a relationship. Our learning to love one another is not us entering into a pattern or a way of living like Jesus. It's actually entering into Jesus' love of the other. So we were made to reflect this trinity. We were made with an inherent longing for an us-ness. To be made in the image and the likeness of God. One of the most fascinating parts of the creation story comes in chapter 2. Where God himself, after he's already created man and said it's very good, now says that something is not good. And the most interesting thing to me about this, when God says it is not good for man to be alone is that God said this before there was a single sin in the world. Nobody had alienated one another. Nobody had lied to one another. No war had ever been done. No murder ever enacted. This is pre-sin, but something wasn't good because we didn't yet fully reflect the God in whose image we were created. We were made to be interdependent. And maturity in faith is a realization of exactly that. Not that one day when you're big and strong, you'll stand on your own two feet. That one day you'll be humble enough to realize in maturity that we are all made to need and to long for one another and to be known by them. You guys, at the end of the day, that's why you're all here living in a residential community. You could have gotten the information of everything we could teach you online. You could have. But you can't get transformation. You can't get depth of relationship. Some of the most important things you will ever do in college will be arguing and making up with a roommate. Like some of the most fundamental human things that you will ever do will be figuring out the dynamics of all of the relationships going on. And they're so important. And here's the sadness, is we're actually not getting better at this overall in our culture right now. We're getting worse. Let me give you a couple quotes from psychology today. Already in 1990, over 25% of Americans reported that they did not have a best friend. One in every four. Since 1990, that number has already jumped more than 40%. More than 40% of people in America would say, I do not have a best friend. More than half of all Americans report being lonely on a regular basis longing for a relationship longing somewhere where you could be with other people where they know you and you know them and you're still loved to be able to live in a space that allows one another to do that for each other i'm not sure our world is getting any better at that either i've been rereading one of my favorite books of all time uh, it's by john lynch it's called on my worst day 
And the premise of the book is awesome because what he does is he goes back and looks at all the most significant events in his entire life and then recounts them and writes like a journal of his life um, retroactively and then goes back and imagines what God would have been saying in that day in all of those big moments happening in his life. And he has these awakenings, he calls them, of different realizations of reality that hit along the way. And when he's talking about communities like Dord or like church, this is one of them. He says, the objective is not to build communities appearing to have sin under control. The objective is to nurture a place safe enough where people can stop faking that they have sin under control. Can you imagine being in a community where we all stopped faking like we had sin under control? Like I didn't have to put on some spiritual front or try to impress somebody. I didn't have to wake up and believe that I needed to be complete once I had find affirmation in somebody else's eyes. Once dad finally said, good report card with no but after it. Where you didn't wake up and need the longing and affirmation of somebody to tell you that you were smart or good looking or a delight. Because you knew already that you were. You were all those things. You guys, we need to work at the relationships that we have. And that's really what this series we're entering into is going to be all about. We're going to do it at the beginning of the semester and at the end. And in the middle, um, have actually, John Lynch is going to come and lead a chapel for us and kick us into a series on another book that he had written. And we'll join in small groups during that Lenten season. And then come back to bookend this semester with more messages on Made to Belong. But we want to practice it in the middle by getting a chance to interact with one another in our relationships. That's why people in church talk about things like small groups and Bible studies. Because gathering with others is actually just as important, if not even more important sometimes, than the content in which we're studying. We were not meant to be alone. And it's so dangerous in our loneliness, you guys. Research has proven that loneliness significantly increases the likelihood in our lives of depression, anxiety, heart disease, type 2 diabetes... In fact, people who report loneliness on a regular basis are twice as likely to contract Alzheimer's in their life. It's almost like God made us to not be alone. Daryl Johnson, in Experiencing the Trinity, says like this, There are many dimensions of God's character where we were created to reflect, but chief among them is this us-ness of God. God does not exist alone and neither do we. Who are created in God's image. It is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for you to be alone. You were made to reflect a relationship. You were made to be in relationship. It's not good for man to be alone. Why? Because Adam would be lonely otherwise? Yeah. But more importantly, because Adam alone, according to Johnson, is not Adam in the image of God. Aaron Bart alone is not Aaron in the image of God. I was made to be in interdependent relationships with others, and it's just simply part of how we're wired. I will literally, physically become sick if I don't, because that's what God wired me for. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm talking about reading this passage either. I'm not saying that Adam was incomplete because he didn't have someone he was married to. Marriage is not it. It's the depth of relationship and healthy relationships all around us. 
And to lose our relationships is to lose part of our humanity. And next week, we're going to delve, do a deeper dive into that idea about those relationships. Because you know, at the end of the day, you know why the Bible talks so much about righteousness? You see this word righteousness all the time in Scripture. You know what righteousness means? Right relationships. God is profoundly interested in you having healthy friendships. In you having healthy romantic relationships. Maybe one at a time. In, in you having healthy relationships with your family. And taking the opportunity to delve into the deepest pain that we've experienced in relationships. Because often, for most of us, that's where our deepest hurts actually all are. And let me tell you this. We will become stunted in our growth in life if the most hurtful thing that ever happened to you is not dealt with and delved into. Your emotional maturity will pause at that point in time. You will often be frozen, unable to move past that for the rest of your life, regardless of how old you actually are. Johnson's reflection on it says it like this. Nothing grieves the triune God more than people who will not work at relationships. And on the other hand, those in their personal church, business, and political lives who strive for righteousness are the people who are the most in touch with the triune God. Our desire to want to be at work in relationships and make them beautiful around us with other people and to care at a deep level for every other person we look at realizing that God is absolutely enamored with them as much as he is with me. God does not love some kid in French Polynesia one iota less than he is massively in love with me or the person in this country who thinks differently politically than I do. And so in seasons like this where we're invited to be divided again and again and again, those who are most fixated on what it means to reflect the Trinity will be absolutely passionate about protecting relationships. You, you were made to belong. You were made to belong in a family. You were made to belong in strong relationships of love. You were made to belong in a church. You were made to belong in a community. And I can't wait to talk more with you about that as the semester goes on.